tonight. Okay, Brother Joe Stover's going to be the minister for us tonight. Come on, Joe. We're right up here. Well, he was going to do it, wasn't he? Told me he went. I bet he could. How many could? Well, it's such a wonderful privilege to be in the house of the Lord again, and once you're house bound, it's hard for you to realize that it is a, just a glorious privilege to be able to stand in the presence of the Lord and be able to be among God's people. I thought probably I better get back because my wife's beginning to steal my thunder, and I don't want that to happen. Okay? Understand she's did a wonderful job, and I appreciate her ability to. Let's get the rebound on that. Let me turn off. Okay. Appreciate her abilities to fill in. And she's done that quite often in the past several years. Okay. I want to begin this uh, lesson tonight. And I'll probably be generous with you because I probably won't last as long as you will. Okay. But uh, I want to begin this lesson in reading in uh, the 24th chapter of St. Matthew. I won't read it all. But in these lessons, it was not my intention, still isn't, to deal into uh, the deep hidden mysteries of the subjects of the end of time, like the uh, number 666 and what it means and where it comes from, all of that, nor am I attempting to present an evangelistic message. But for years we have heard that there is coming a one-world government, and with that one-world government, be under the auspices of the uh, one called the beast power, and also there is to be a one-world religion hated by the false prophets. So in these lessons we just simply be, uh, did our best to give you some documented facts that these things are not in the future, but they are happening right now, since they will continue to materialize and continue to unveil themselves. But we have, over the past several years, I can remember prophetic voices sounding out from the pulpit a lot more than they do today. And of course, a lot of times they got caught up in revelations and didn't teach people how to live a daily life. But you still need to know about the coming of the Lord and the end of time and what is happening and the church has been satisfied thus far of just presenting a gospel of salvation and getting saved and, and relaxing and depending upon the Lord to take care of all your problems and all of that. And we've got to the place sometimes where we find there's no need to grow. And the sounding prophets of the revelations and Daniel and all of those have ceased in our churches. And because of that, things have happened during the last several years that it went by unnoticed by the average church minister and by the average church individual. So it's it, our desire and our attempt to just open our eyes to the, some of the coming things that have happened thus far, uh, that is in the process of happening, and will finally unveil the fullness of what is happening for Jesus comes. Matthew, the 24th chapter, very interesting chapter, and I could take a lot of time, probably a whole hour and a half or two hours, uh, just in that chapter, but that's not the point I want to get to us. I would like for you to read that chapter because it answers some questions that the apostles asked and that individuals should be asking today. And it begins in the third verse where they said, Tell us when shall these things be, 
and that's the destruction of Jerusalem, and that happened, of course, in A.D. 70, and then uh, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And then Jesus proceeds to tell you in no uncertain terms some of the things that will be happening at that time. And uh, all we need to do is look around and realize that these things over a period of time have been happening and are materializing daily. He gives us the Olivet Discourse of this age, uh, describes another great tribulation, talks about the return of the King glory. But I want to read from the 32nd verse, the 24th chapter, uh, down to probably the 37th verse. And it reads like this, Now learn the parable, parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Now he's telling us here that we seem to know the weather pattern materially. But he's letting us know we should know the weather pattern spiritually. And he says, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now he was talking about the generation that was living in times these things was coming to pass. In other words, he was talking to our generation from 2,000 years before. He was speaking to the generation that we are, are living in. And he goes on to say, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. There are a lot of changes happening. And even though heaven and earth pass away, God's word stands and remains true. And whatever has not happened is going to happen. Yes. And we can lay our life on that. Then he goes on to say, But of the day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And you have to realize here Jesus was speaking as a man. At that time he was not speaking as God, and so naturally he would not as a man know the day and hour. Neither would the angels. But scripture after scripture allows us to understand that God knows that, and if we have God's Spirit inside of us, then it's not impossible for us to know this. So we need to realize that. And then, 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also is the coming of the Son of Man. And then it goes on to list a lot of things. Of course, I hear people say that this happened over the years, and it has, but it's increasingly getting worse and worse all the time until it comes finally to its fullness. And we are living in a day and hour where there's a growing sense of expectation. I don't know if you can feel it or not. But I've been in this thing a long time, and I have never felt in the history of my ministry such an urgency to get individual lives and churches awake to the realization that we are fighting a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle for our own lives individually, and a spiritual battle for the life of a church, and we need to understand that. And so there is a growing sense of expectation in lives. I talked to individuals that's not even Christians, and uh, they seem to be as much concerned, sometimes more, I feel like, than the average Christian about what is happening in our world. Everything is passing so fast, and uh, it has, makes us realize, is this coincidence, is there any consequence to this? You see, we're, we're living as humans in a fast-forward age. You've seen these things where you fast-forward your VCR and what have you, and and uh, everything is just going so fast, and we're wondering, well, 
we kind of want to put God on that same pattern, but God moves, according to us, in slow motion. You watch the individual's habits, you as they uh, slowly picture down and just looks like things are never going to happen. And that's the way it looks to us, but in God's pattern, God is moving on. So when we look around to this world and what is happening, it would be easy to be overpowered by the sense of things are moving too fast. In other words, if we're not careful, we're going to get run over. All right, things are going to happen, spin out of control, push the world off the edge of sanity, and so on. So you have to forgive me for wondering if these feelings might not be just a little bit true, and I think they are. Is the world moving unchecked towards some cataclysmic, disastrous, or adverse calamity? Daniel 12.4 talks about some things that's going to happen and he says, and you've marked that down and read it, but he says, But thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And so all of these things is happen all these things are happening very rapidly. There's been a change in the attitude, how people think, the honesty of individuals, uh, their attitude toward God, their attitude toward fellow Christians, their attitude toward the church. These attitudes have changed drastically in the past several years. The attitude toward prayer, belief, and all of that, and especially the attitude toward morals. Moral standards used to be one of the things, Christian or not Christian. Uh, we believed in sexual morality and all the lustful things that's going on today. And we find it sometimes as much in the church as we do out in the world. And that, in a sense, is a shame to us. In other words, I think what this is saying to us that we're not demanding what God wants us to demand. And there's been a change in the honesty. A handshake used to do it doesn't anymore. A piece of paper doesn't mean much anymore. And there's been an attitude toward Christianity. It used to be one of the basis. People looked up to the church and looked up to Christianity. And now then, Christians are being hated today, and it's going to increase. We've had our day. I mean, we flew high. Everybody looked to us, and we've had a wonderful time, and everybody has accepted the power of the Holy Ghost with the use of rotten egg and all of that, and we've had our day, and now then, we're coming to the climax of it all, and what we are, are living in a world where it's Christian bashing is the thing. What you used to do, you can't do anymore. So when we see all these happening, we do we actually have a reason to hope that in the midst of all of this, there is a plan and purpose behind everything that's happening. You see, if I couldn't believe that there was a plan and purpose of God in what is happening in our world, I don't know how I could exist. Because when I look around, things are falling apart. Our world is falling apart. Our churches are falling apart. Christians are falling apart. And unless we believe and get a hold of this, that there is a plan and purpose behind this all, and if we are students of God's Word, there again a necessity. That's another thing what has swiftly went and been taken away. Maybe by the world, maybe we have allowed it. But people used to read the Bible, live by the Bible, believe the Bible. Yes, it is. All right, uh, all the time they, they was in the Word of God. You could hardly go in the home, but they did not want to sit down and discuss Bible. Not to argue Bible, but discuss Bible. Find out really what we thought was going on in life. So if we're a student of God's Word, which we have to be, subject to reading God's Word, pondering God's Word, when we know that there is a plan and a purpose behind these things that is taking place in our world.
Second Peter 1.19 reads like this, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, we have a written word filled with prophetic things. We have already been fulfilled right to the letter. Others right now are being fulfilled right to the letter. And all things that God promised, and this is sure word of prophecy written under the inspiration of God by men that was moved by the Spirit of God and preserved and handed down to us in this little black book called the Bible, which we so happily lay on the shelf, and maybe we'll open it up Sunday morning, and maybe we won't. I have to charge you because I don't know about you. I'm just saying average Christianity has allowed the world to take the Bible out of their minds, the Bible out of their reading, and so on. In other words, it has encroached upon our right and upon God's right. But Peter says, now we have a sure word of prophecy, unto which you do well to take heed. And you can't take heed to something you don't know anything about. As into a light that shineth in a dark place. Now we are in darkness. This is dark world. Dark places. We can't see where we're headed. We don't know. It's disastrous until we get the sure word of prophecy. And then all at once the darkness is dispelled. We know that God is still in control. We know that God knows where he's going. And we know that God is still searching lives of individuals. And then he says, this is going to work. This has to work until the day dawn and the day star, which is a living word, arise in your hearts. And so in other words, he's saying, sure word of prophecy, it's in here. Now, in that great prophetic plan of God, we read in so many places in the word of God, we discover that the most telling indication that we're moving toward the end of the age is that sudden, unprecedented increase of knowledge. If you look around and see where our world was 50 years ago, 25 years ago, you can see there's a great increase in knowledge. Sad to say, it has come knowledge from the world, and we can see our advancement in the space age and all of this. And this sort of changes will cause, uh, will sweep into the world and cause the world to go into chaos if we can't see and write it. So what we've got to do is see what's happening today, and if we can see that, or then we will understand that God has been talking to us for years of time. The prophet Daniel was an amazing man. Get some time to read Daniel. May not understand all these signs and symbols and all of that, but you'll find he's an amazing man, a man just like us, where God looked, uh, looked down and saw a man that wanted to know the end of time. He wanted to know what was happening. Man wanted to know what was going to happen at the end of his days and even beyond that. And God showed him that. And we searched for revelation in the sheer weight of revelation that God gave him would leave most of us shaking in fear. Uh, in fact, on several occasions recorded in the book of Daniel, it tells us how the revelation of God actually stunned Daniel and literally knocked him to the ground. Daniel 8.27 and also read that in Daniel 8.8.10. I'm going to read this one. And I, Daniel, fainted, and it was six certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. In Revelations, or in Daniel 9.26 and 12.4, says, Both the end of it shall be a flood of changes, and in the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. I can tell you very safely that never before in the history of time as these two conditions even remotely approach the astonishing levels that we have today.
And so one does not have to be a prophet in order to look on the world about us and to be able to say with assurance that this year and the years past and the coming years is going to bring us some unprecedented change and upheaval. I'm watching real closely the changes in Israel, the changes in China, the changes in Russia, and others that's going to be uh, dominant factors in the last days. Notice, I've noticed the change in, in Britain where uh, uh, the present Prime Minister has uh, simply thought uh, down on morals, fell down on them, which leaves Britain in a very perilous time. And all the things that's happening are just 10% of these things come to pass, this world will be a vastly different place. I want us to consider, for example, just briefly, the impact that has been and will be made on the euro. Now that is a monetary unit that has been brought back by uh, and embraced by the United Nations, and it's been in process for a full year. On January 1st, the first day most European banks opened for business, in 1999, electronic trading began taking place in terms of euros. That's spelled E-U-R-O-S. That's rather than their francs and their marks and the gowns and so on and so forth. And all the cash registers in and all around Europe, prices appeared both in the traditional local currency as well as in the euro. Trading in the European stock market is already being done in the euro. Now, countries that will share in the euro as a common currency right now are Germany, France, Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, Belgium, Austria, Portugal, Finland, Ireland, and Luxembourg, which most of them, except for maybe one or two, will eventually drop out, will constitute the ten-nation kingdom, but we'll not deal with that now. Britain is on the sideline. Denmark and Sweden and Greece, Sweden and Greece eventually will go in. Are not members, uh, they're members of the European Union, but they are not members of the Euro so far. And already many huge entities, including China, has declared their intention to support the Euro as an international medium of exchange. Now those words ought to scare us. Yes. We ought to realize actually what do they really mean. You see, for years, this role has been left exclusively to the American dollar. And so we are actually losing a hope, maybe, if you want to call it that, upon the world, and Europe is deciding to go it on its own. I pray to God that she does. I pray to God that we as the United States of America will let her do it on, on her own, that we be no part of that. Thus far, uh, there's no indication that we will be, but we have to wait and see. But we listen to a flood of comments coming out of Europe, and it's an interesting thing when you hear it. Some of them are expressing fear about what's happening, by those also that praise the new economic unity and purpose, and they expect it again to become the world currency. Now, there again, a world currency. Does that sound familiar? Anything like you've read in your Bible? Well, you have to understand that these people really are not Bible scholars, and so they're not attempting to fulfill any prophecy at all. They're just doing it. Because God said this is what was going to happen, and there's not very little they can do other than to fulfill. So there is a very provocative, provocative theme that's being sounded today. Notice in Revelations it says there'll come a time when you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark or number of the beast. In other words, there will be a real currency. 
What we do about it, you'll find that in Revelation 13, 11, and 18. So it is a situation that we have to watch very closely as we move through what I think the most exciting year of change. We're coming up on the year 2000. A lot of things are supposed to happen. I'm not all excited about things that's going to happen exactly on the year 2000. I'm not even going to go into the reason for that as of right now, but there's reasons why people are expecting that, because uh, great things over 2,000 years usually happen. And of course, we don't know a calendar, but also we have to watch that Russia, who looked like she was dead, and she was in a sense, is seeking to try to find her former memory. And nothing has been more difficult for the Russian people than the change in perspective around the world as far as they're concerned. They used to be one of the most militant, one of the most dominant forces in the world, and now the Russians are pitied and maligned for the lack of control of their own nation. And uh, they simply are separated by billions of U.S. economic foreign aid or supported by that. You see, we are supporting something that eventually might like to destroy us. They would like to do that now, but we are, as usual, putting them on their feet so they can throw things back at us. But there has been, in the recent days, a move to restore her to a more power. Everybody realizes she is a necessity to be a world power. And the Russian economy is still in shambles, but we have to remind ourselves of all this again. There again with Bible students, but Russia has an appointment with fate that has to be kept. So you see, there could be a reason that the U.S. still finances her. There's reasons why things are happening. And that appointment is her prophesied invasion of Israel at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Things are sh shaping up very close to things. Now, I talked to somebody not long ago and they said, well, we've heard this since so and so. Well, that's what Peter said. You know, things remain as they are since the beginning of time. And of course, we have heard things when Hitler came into power, Mussolini came into power. I was old enough to know that many of the uh, so-called prophetic ministers was proclaiming Hitler as the beast, and Mussolini, of course, as the false prophet. And all of this, and I can remember my father standing in the pulpit and said, if these other things are not happening, coinciding with these two things, then it cannot be. And of course, you look around, and those things were not happening. But when you look around at what is happening now, you see the pieces of the puzzle are there, just ready to drop in place. It's just a matter of time. I'm not sure how much time, but it's enough time to get me concerned about our world, about our children, about how we're raising our children, about the freedoms we give our children, about the freedoms we give ourselves as far as church is concerned, about our lack of prayer, and about our lack of concern about what is happening in the world. And uh, it concerns me to realize that we are so close that the only force in the world that's going to be able to stand against this type of a power is the church of the living God. And of course, we have to see and realize it cannot do that today. It does not stand solid enough against sin, and we're going to have to make a choice very, very shortly as to whether we are going to be separated from the norm, the normal churches, we've already covered that, whether we're going to be branded exclusive individuals who say we're the only ones going into heaven, and we don't say that, we just simply make the statement that it takes the blood of Jesus Christ 
regardless of whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever you call yourself, if you accept the blood of Jesus Christ, you can get into the kingdom of God. We have some portions of scripture in Revelation Ezekiel that I would like to read concerning Russia. Now, what we realize when we read Ezekiel, and when we read most of the Old Testament prophets, is that they see a near and a fire all in one view. They don't separate uh, what is happening or what will happen uh, at that time and then what is left to happen in the coming of the Lord and close to his time. And so you have to rightly divide it, and it's not really hard if you look at it, but if you just scan over it, you'll find it a problem. In Ezekiel 38 and 9, it talks about Russia, and so it tells you what its fate is going to be. They can't escape that. People can, but the nation can't and won't because they don't accept God. Ezekiel 38 and 9 through 12, Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm, Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and all many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall come to pass, that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. Thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unborn villages, I will go to them that are rest and dwell safely, all them dwelling without walls, neither having bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon desolate places that are now inhabited, on the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle, goods, and dwell in the midst of the land. Now you have to realize that this has not happened yet. And this other than I'm going to read has not. But this portion from 38, 9 through 12 discusses the battle of Gog and Magog. Right now, no nation is one out uh, on what it does, always has protection. And so on. if you read Revelation 27 and 9, it'll tell you the battle of Magog and Magog is after the millennium, after the thousand-year reign of peace. Now, in Ezekiel 39, 1 through 6, it is at the beginning of the tribulation where Russia is involved. They are involved at the beginning of the tribulation and then all through the thousand-year millennium. They have never really, only because they were forced to, come and worship Jesus, they have never changed their mind or attitude at all, and at the end of the tribulation when Satan, or at the end of the millennium when Satan is loosed from his captivity, then he goes back to the earth to deceive the nations, and Russia is the first one he gets. And she says, we'll move up and we'll take a spoil and take his prey. Now, Revelation goes on to tell you that fire comes down from heaven and devours them up. Okay, but you're talking in Ezekiel 39, 1, uh, 1, 3, and 6. Therefore, thou, son of man, prophesy against God. And of course, that is Russian saying. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O God, the chief prince of Meshach and Tabul. And Meshach is Moscow, and I offhand don't remember the other one, but it is the biblical name of the uh, name today. And I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee. This is the battle they're involved in at the beginning of tribulations. And so they are left the sixth part, and I will cause thee to come from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel, and at the battle of Armageddon, it goes on to say, I will smoke thy smite thy bow out of thy left hand, I will cause thine heirs to fall out of thy right hand, I will send a fire on thy God, and among them that dwell carelessly in their house, they shall know that I am the Lord. 
And this is what is going to happen during that period of time, the cleaning up time after the Battle of Armageddon and the coming of the war. I will give unto God the place there are graves in Israel, the valley of passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses and the mouths of the passengers, and they shall bury God in all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of him and God. When we look at the Bible in the not too distant far future, we're reminded that every society, and that's why you have seen such a miracle in Russia, in every society the Spirit of God works, and it rules those that will come to Christ in faith believing. So in recent years, it's not a happenstance, with the fall of the Soviet Union, many doors have been opened to the gospel. Christians are coming out of hidings, out of basement churches, and out of back rooms, and out of attics, and even out of caves and desolate places where they're worshiping and singing the praises of God. They used to have to do it in whispers, and now they have come out and they have been given the privilege to reach all of Russia that have been interested whatsoever. Thousands, maybe even millions, have come to salvation through Jesus Christ in Russia and also in the countries that they have helped. So while we look and anticipate these developments to come upon Russia, we need to pray for those who have accepted Christ. You see, those that have accepted Christ and they are taking advantage. I think, well, I heard one minister speak and it comes from Russia, Apostolic World Christian Fellowship, and the question was asked him, was he aware that eventually these privileges would be taken away from them and that they would be marked individuals where at one time they was not. And he said, we certainly are. We're aware that we are going to be marked. We're aware that this could even cause us our lives. But it is an opportunity we've never had. Opportunity never afforded us to be able to sound over the airways the gospel of Jesus Christ and the minister uninhibited the people of Russia. And he said, we will gladly take that opportunity if it costs us our lives. So you see, many of them are aware. They are aware that these individuals I'm liking them as who they are and what they are, they're aware that eventually it could cost them their lives. But they are more than willing to give their lives for testimony of Jesus Christ. And I thought as that man was ministering that, he just came out of hiding, just came out of caves and places like that. And I thought of that he was ministered to multitudes of individuals in the Apostolic World Christian Fellowship that do not have the slightest idea of what suffering was, what suffering was all about. Giving the dictates of giving their life for Jesus Christ, very few of them, probably 10% of them, would not even consent to that. So you see, we've got a whole lot to be thankful for that we've never faced that, that we may face that one of these days, and God help us that God gets in the church that's more mature than what he's got now, myself included. God help us to realize there's so much more that we need, God needs our life. Now also, number three, there's a flood of changes happening in the nation of Israel and the Middle East. Netanyahu, who tried his best to hold the ground which belonged to Israel and lost the election, of course you know that. Ehud Barak favors giving occupied territory back to the Arabs have been elected, and I understand that he has given some back, and he's supposed to give so many back each year until finally 
They are, have the West Bank, which is called Judea. And if you read in Matthew 24, he tells about the time when the Palestinians take that over, and the Israeli government will do nothing about protecting those settlements there. And the Bible tells them to run from the mountains and get out of there. So that is actually where the West Bank is, which is in Judea, which is present-day prophecy 2,000 years ago, almost ready to happen. And so they're giving up their territory, or at least they're pretending to, and we should be concerned about the redividing of the city of Jerusalem. And such an act certainly would lead to greater turmoil than we've ever seen and strife in what is known as the city of peace. So we have to pray, according to Psalm 122, 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper who love thee. And so, see, we as a nation have prospered, not maybe necessarily because we're home, because we have understood that we have a connection with Jerusalem. You see, all Israel are not Jews. That's another, that's another lesson altogether. Jews are only from the tribe of Judah, Judah has tribe of uh, Benjamin and some of Levi. And the rest of the tribes are supposed to be lost and hidden. Might be interesting to you to understand that the United States of America constitutes a great amount of the lost tribes of Israel. Why God is so good to us, why we have prospered so greatly, is because of God's promise to Abraham not necessarily something we have done. So we are living actually with a choice to be made. And that's why, because God promised Abraham and we have a choice as, uh, as the United States of America to do it. And finally, amid all the fervor and fear surrounding the president and our government, and we don't have to go into what has happened, the only one that ever told the truth is the only one that's being brought to trial. Linda Tripp is being brought to trial, and she is now they estimated her, her lawyer fees and all of this other stuff is going to cost her into the thousands of dollars. And she's the only one told the truth and all of that, and they're bringing her to trial because they say she shouldn't have recorded a conversation over the telephone. Regardless of whatever else happens, you know, everything else was up to snuff, you know that, everything was just like it ought to be, God forbid. But there again, it lets you to know what people are when it comes to telling the truth. So. We have to understand that. So we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, we saw this mess, we went through it, we watched the world uh, reel and rock, and then we watched the world get behind it, and we even watched Christians as it doesn't seem to make any difference if politics is politics and them doesn't make any difference what, who know what, and I'm not telling you Democratic Republican, I'm just telling you to look at their record, their Bible, Bible belief, what they believe, and you vote that way accordingly. You see, everything that has happened thus far has been against biblical principles. So we're living in that type of air. We're living in this. We can't escape it. It's here. You face it every place you go. You face that. So how should we, as loving representatives of the gospel, act? What should we do? Should we continue to uh, bury our face in the sand, continue to come to our little churches, or uh, night or two a week or something like that, and then forget everything about it until the next time, and just put our head in the sand and claim these things are not going to affect us. Uh, are we going to just add to the chaos? Are we going to be a part of a process that heals a divided nation? And certainly there's nothing can heal a divided nation other than intercessory prayer 
for our leaders. I don't agree with their leaders, but I do agree for one thing about them, they need prayer. All right, and we need to pray for them. And certainly there remains nothing to be said about the events that brought us to this point. We've all been aware of that. We've all saw that. We see it every day. We've seen the chaos in our nation. We have watched where uh, they've taken the commandments out of school and prayer out of school, and we've watched 13, 12, 13 year old children come into, uh, into school, slaughter and kill and shoot up and all of this. And yet, in spite of all of that, our nation still hasn't awakened. Even in Harrisburg, where it looked like there might actually be somebody that was going to be strong enough to buck this, they have mellowed and they have voted to remove the commandments from the school. Now, those that have been back of it said that they're not true yet. But of course, when you make your stand and then you buckle under the threats of those who say they're going to make legal battle, and the part of it was they had several several individuals that said that they would furnish the money and the lawyers to see them through this, and yet, in spite of it all, it's just kind of a spineless act on the individual part. They need prayer. But we have to be concerned in the midst of all of this that the message of life and salvation through Jesus Christ is not diminished by the wrangling over politics. We have to understand that these individuals are probably as wrong as anybody has ever been wrong. And let our nation farther down the road than anybody, any president or senate or uh, house has ever led our nation down. We have to realize that we cannot wrangle over that. We have to get and understand that it's going to take the intercessory prayer of God's people. It's going to take God help. It's going to take the awakening of God's people, the awakening of God's church. Find your time. Take it back. Don't let the devil have it. Find some time to worship God. Amen. Find some time to read God's Word. Find some time to pray. Find some time to study and have some uh, communion with your children on this. Have you ever wondered how much Bible teaching these children that have left their home? Uh, this last incident, if you remember, this was a nice young man. He was uh, a student. He never seemed to have any problems. He was very popular, the thing that the others wasn't. And still there was something inside of him that made him come into school, get behind the tree, get a gun out, begin to shoot his classmates. Have you ever wondered whether he'd ever been introduced to Jesus Christ or not? Have you ever wondered whether a prayer had ever been prayed in his presence or not? Have you ever wondered where, uh, whether the parents are as good as they might have been? Have you ever sat down and told him concerning these things? Have you ever wondered about And even if you have ever wondered about him, have you ever wondered about your own children, about your own grandchildren? Is there any time for them left? Are you giving them any time at all? Is there any Bible teaching, any prayer? Or have you allowed the world to swallow up the things of God? So you see, the media is working over time to portray, to portray Bible-believing Christians as bitter and vindictive. You know, anything that happens just because we happen to believe that homosexuality is a sin, anytime there's a hate crime, it's our fault. See what I'm trying to say? It's our fault. Now, and the news media will grab it, print it on the page, but they forget to mention what homosexuals do, and forget to say they were homosexuals. Finally it come out where they've taken this boy, these two men, and, uh, and raped him, 
and uh, he choked to death with his own underwear, and they finally did bring that out, but they failed to say that these were homosexual men. That was not a hate crime. See, what I'm talking about is coming down to the level of where Christianity is being bashed all over. So they'll portray us as bitter and vindictive, tearing at the heart of society for the furtherance of our own religious agenda. And we do have a religious agenda. That religious agenda is the uh, blood of Jesus Christ, the power of God in our life. We're accepting nothing less than that. I want to say this, regardless of what is going on in our world, I'm about ready to finish. Christians have always had an impact on society. All down through the ages of time, Christians, and you know, you would be surprised at the impact on society that Christians have in third world countries. We were visiting in India. Two-thirds or three-fourths of those, those individuals are either Hindus or Muslims, and we were visiting in the city where the only Christian family there was, I suppose, and they elected this man mayor because they said he's a Christian and he's honest. You see, so it, it, Christianity has always had an impact, and now is no time for us to retreat from the truth of Christianity. The honesty of what we are, the morals that we hold dear, we don't retreat from them. And we don't bash, we don't put people in hell, we let them realize that they can repent just like we have. And that they can come from to God just like we have got. But we cannot, in times of Christian bashing, we cannot afford to not have an impact on society. And we cannot allow the media to paint us as something we are not. And more importantly, we must never allow anyone to divert attention from the message and the purpose of the church, which is to tell the world about Jesus and about his power to save. That is a message the church never, never should lose. So may I suggest to you, in closing, when someone confronts you with this whole ugly issue that is before us, why not just turn the conversation back to where it should have been all along? That is, that is sin that has produced this mess. Sin that has brought me into lives. Sin that has brought me into homes. Sin that has found its way into the top, top, top priority in our governments. You would be surprised how many homosexuals are in top offices in our United States government just been there just recently, how they found their way there, and sin has produced this mess, and unless we repent as a nation, unless we repent as an individual, now our nation will never be brought to its knees unless we as individuals are brought to our knees, and repent as a sin and out of sin, and ask God to lead us out of this dilemma that we have gotten into because the church has slept while the world has risen up. We slept while one lady got prayer out of schools. We slept while Congress has enacted laws that have caused us not to be able to present the word of God in the schoolhouses. They say falsely separation of church and state. And of course, they know that it's not right. They are not dumb as far as that's concerned. But the time of the Lord's return is well even closer. And we should desire to see every precious moment and use it wisely to win the world for Jesus Christ. So whatever we do while Christian bashing is going on, 
When we feel assaulted by these things, watch your words very carefully, and be faithful to every opportunity to share Jesus Christ, not as an argument, but as salvation. And let us use these days, dark days and hours, and every advantage that we have to turn tragic times into spiritual opportunities and healings. The Lord is coming back. May we be ready, and may we bring many souls with us in the kingdom of God. I pray we will. Father, breathe upon your divine word tonight. Thank you for your blessings, Father, upon our nation. Thank you for your wisdom, God. It's only through that that we can survive. Thank you, Father, for faith you have given to us all. Master, might we leave this house more wiser, more determined, and use what you have given us as a gift to bring souls into the kingdom of God and turn our nation around before we find tragic results. Amen. Next week.